Many Christmases ago, when our kids were still young, they were all at home, they're still very young. During the Christmas season, my wife and I put off buying a Christmas tree until it was almost too late. At the time, with our schedule, I was still teaching full-time, and then she was also, and still is teaching uh, full-time as well, and concerts, performances, shopping, uh, and not to mention the church activities that were going on. We just kind of procrastinated. We put off buying a Christmas tree until just a few days before Christmas, and we kind of felt bad, kind of felt guilty because we thought we really should have a Christmas tree. Our kids should have a Christmas tree at home. And so uh, we decided, well, let's go, let's go get a tree. And uh, we couldn't find I mean, The trees were all sold out. So we thought, we'll, we'll just buy a live tree. And uh, we kind of convinced ourselves, ourselves that, you know, a lot of people, I've, I've heard a lot of people don't put up their Christmas trees until Christmas Eve. So we'll just be like those people that do it on Christmas Eve and it's part of the celebration, even though it was a, probably a couple of days before Christmas Eve. So we went out to look for a tree and um, we just couldn't find one. And we, we finally went to one location, one store that uh, had some really sad looking Christmas trees. Uh, I mean, these trees made Charlie Brown's Christmas tree look like a towering evergreen fir tree. I and mean, they were a pretty, pretty sad shape. But, you know, we wanted to put up a tree and we couldn't find anything anywhere else. So uh, we picked out the best one we could find. But uh, it was it was pretty dry. It's pretty brittle. And uh, in fact, uh, the manager, store manager said, uh, you know what? Y'all just take it. <laughs> just just take it. No cost. So we're like, okay. So we picked it up and lost a few needles and put it in the trunk of our car, lost some more needles. We got home, pulled it out and lost more needles. And it was pretty bad. And so we took it out of the car. My wife and I looked at each other and we're like, ah, it's not worth it. So we, it went from our car to the alley, <laughs> ready to be picked up by the, the guys who were going to pick up trees the next couple of weeks. And so Oh, well, no tree that year, uh, and we have a tree now. It's just the two of us, but we, you know, we, we've got a nice tree. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of a sermon series titled Christmas Traditions, and what we're doing is we're looking at some of our cultural Christmas traditions and learning how some of these traditions, traditions actually do reveal the heart of God toward us. Last week, I spoke to you about the kids' favorite tradition, the story of Santa Claus, and uh, which, by the way, if you missed that message, you can go to our website and, and listen to it or, or catch it on your favorite podcast app and be caught up with our series. And today I want to talk to you about the tradition of putting up a Christmas tree. How many of you have a Christmas tree put up in your house? Is it your hands? Okay, ah, that's, that's most of you. And uh, anybody procrastinating like we did that year? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I know the feeling, I know the feeling, don't wait too long. Um, why do we do this? Why do we put up Christmas trees? What's a connection uh, with, with Christmas? What's a connection with Jesus, with God? What's the significance of the Christmas tree? Well, putting up a Christmas tree in our houses is a tradition that, as you might expect, goes way back. Um, it's believed that the first person that actually brought a tree, a Christmas tree, as it were, into his house, and, and the way that we know it today... Uh, may have been Martin Luther, that 16th century German monk, German preacher. The story is told that one, out, one night, rather, um, 
Martin Luther was walking around, walking through the forest on his way home, and he looked up and he saw through the trees, the branches of the trees, he saw the stars at night. And he went home and he told his children that the stars, that view that he had of the stars through the trees, reminded him of Jesus and how Jesus had left the stars of heaven, as it were, to come to earth at Christmas. And so it's believed that he was the first one who actually brought a, a tree into his home to celebrate Christmas. Um, going back earlier than that, though, there's another story that says in the year 725, St. Boniface, a missionary from England, went to Germany one year to preach to the, the pagan German uh, people. People didn't know God to try to convert them, convert them to Christianity. And the story is said that he, he came across on one occasion, came across a group of Druids that were worshiping an oak tree. And as part of their, their worship, they were about to sacrifice a young boy. And so he became angry at this, and, and he, he wanted to stop the sacrifice. So it is said that St. Saint, Saint Boniface uh, took an axe, and he cut down that tree that they were worshiping. He, he cut it down, and then to his amazement, when that, when that tree fell, when it was actually split in two, out of the, the, the middle of that split uh, came up a, a, a young fir tree. Just a small fir tree. And so St. Boniface took that as a sign of the Christian faith. This tree is a sign of the faith. And so his followers decorated the tree with, with candles and uh, used it so he could preach at night with the candles, preach to the pagans at night. Uh, these are stories. We don't know how much truth there are, they are in, in them. They, they might be true. But what we discover as we, as in studying the history of the Christmas tree, and what I discovered is that the evergreen fir tree has traditionally been, been used uh, over the years to celebrate the winter festival, and I'm talking about both pagan celebrations and, and Christian celebrations, to celebrate the winter festivals. Now, why would they use an evergreen fir tree to celebrate the winter Festival. The evergreen tree, uh, you know, represents growth. Obviously, evergreen by the title, you know, it's a tree that's always green. So why would they use it in the winter time when things are dormant, when things aren't green? Uh, it, the, uh, historians tell us that pagans used branches of it to decorate their their homes during the winter solstice because it made them think of the spring that was to come. The, the tree, the evergreen tree in the wintertime reminded people, both pagans and Christians alike, reminded them that even though it's cold right now, there's a spring coming. I think the underlying principle and the way that the fir tree has been used over the years, as I said, by both pagans and Christians, is as a sign of hope. As a sign of hope. Both pagans and Christians use it in their winter festivals as a reminder that winter would not last forever, that the harsh winter, the cold winter, the bleak winter, would not last forever, it would soon give way to spring, soon give way to growth, and um, the, the spring that was to come. So, this, as I studied this, as I read these stories and, and the history behind the tree, the one word that kept coming up, rising up, you know, to, to the top of my consciousness was the word hope. The Christmas tree is a sign of hope during the harsh winter that better days are coming. That spring 
is coming. In the middle of, and this is really our, our big idea for, for what I want to talk about today, that in the midst of a bleak and weary winter, the evergreen fir tree reminds us that spring is coming. It gives us hope that though our present situation may be harsh, something better is coming. We don't have harsh winters here in West Texas, do we? I mean, we really don't. Uh, it goes down to the 30s and, and people are bundling up and canceling school and work. <laughs> you know, because we don't know how to drive in, in ice. But uh, we don't really have harsh winters here. But I think all of us do know what it's like to have a winter-like experience emotionally, spiritually, a winter-like experience that brings about depression and maybe even despair. We know what it's like to feel like winter will never end emotionally and, and, and know what it's like to give up hope that something better is coming. We have an enemy of our soul who works extra hard to keep us down when, when we're a little bit down and, and to... Uh, help us to lose hope like the, like the white witch in Narnia who made it always winter but never Christmas. Never, you know, something to look forward to. And that's an experience that I think we've all gone through at one time or another. You know, I've never been to Alaska. I'd like to go someday. I'd like to visit Alaska. But I've read that there are places in, in the northernmost part of Alaska, that have a two-month period during winter in which the sun doesn't even rise. Two-month period during winter in which the sun doesn't rise. Two months of darkness. Can you imagine that? Two months of darkness. Some of the most, some of the saddest days when, when I was still teaching full-time, some of the saddest days of my teaching career when I'd get, get to school because I had a 7 o'clock class, a, a zero hour that, you know, that I would teach. And then there were certain periods of the year that it was just long days. So I'd get to school, it was dark. And then I'd leave school, and it was dark. And that was so sad for me, to go to school in the dark, and then to leave, you know, it, it's dark already. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how much longer I want to do this. You know, it just, it just it wasn't very exciting for me, because that, you know, darkness that, does that for us. Can you imagine two months of darkness? You know, not all the state is that extreme, um, but even further south in the state of Alaska, it's, I read that sunlight only appears for a portion of the day. And, and that's got to be pretty depressing. In fact, they say that 10% of Alaskans suffer from a condition or a disorder. They call it disorder. It's called seasonal affective disorder. Seasonal affective disorder. And think about the, the initials of seasonal affective disorder. Sad it's, it's a legitimate thing. You know, it's a, it's a disorder. It's a mood disorder. I mean, people who are otherwise mentally healthy become depressed during the winter months because of the darkness and the cold. Uh, not all of them go through that, but some do. And, um, you know, I, that's, I mean, I'd like to visit Alaska, but not during the winter. I'd like to go in the spring. You know, I, I, in, in reading about the Seasonal affective disorder in Alaska. They, uh, you know, doctors and uh, psychologists, psychiatrists have tips for people who suffer. And by the way, not just Alaskans suffer from this, but people here in the mainland and other countries can suffer from seasonal affective disorder. And they they give some tips like, 
you know, don't, uh, don't just stay by yourself. Seek out your friends. Hang out with your friends. Buy a lamp. They call it a happy lamp, you know, a sun lamp or something that will project some, uh, that will give some, some light and some heat. You know, there's some, some tips they give because they know that people can get really down. And so it's not just at, at winter in winter, but during all seasons of the year, when people are feeling down, when they're feeling sad, they're feeling depressed, they can lose hope. And they can feel like there's no answer for their situation. And the idea of finding hope in Christmas really comes straight out of the Bible, straight from the Christmas story. I know you're wondering, are we going to read the Bible today, Pastor? We actually are. We are. Um, we could read from the Old Testament. There are prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus that speak of the hope that he would bring. And uh, we're going to read a story today from the book of Luke, chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn to that. Because I want you to rediscover hope this Christmas. I know that there are a lot of negative emotions that we all go through that are enhanced during the Christmas season. And I'd love for us to turn that around and enhance the positive things and build on them as we move forward. Now, as you look at that very first Christmas, we learned that many of the characters in the story had built their lives on hope. I think especially the older characters. We have Simeon, who, who uh, Luke tells us was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We have Anna, who the Bible tells us was very old, but she was also looking forward to the redemption of Jesus. And when she met the baby Jesus in the temple, she spoke, to, she spoke of Jesus to everyone who, like her, was waiting and looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And then we have another elderly couple, Named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we read their story in Luke chapter 1 beginning with verse 5. Now, it's taken me a while to get to the biblical passage. But now we're going to read a good portion of it. So this is a little bit of a lengthy passage. Follow along in your Bibles. Luke 1 beginning with verse 5 all the way to verse 20. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John." He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord God, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. 
The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Wow, what a story. What a story. And the background to this story is that for many years, for generations in fact, there had always been a handful of Jewish people who were waiting every single day for the Messiah to come. They were just living their lives out in obedience to, to God's word. They're praying every day. They're fasting. They're worshiping. They're waiting for the Messiah. But the Messiah wasn't coming. Nothing was happening. In fact, for 400 years, God didn't even speak through His prophets like He had in the past. And yet these people still waited, hoping they would see the coming of the Messiah. But sadly, many of them died without ever seeing the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. And so I guess we could say that it was understandable that some Jews gave up their hope. They lost their hope. They abandoned their faith even and started following other beliefs. In some cases, no beliefs at all. They just gave up the belief, gave up the hope that the Messiah was coming. But there was still a remnant. There was still a small group that believed, they hoped, and they waited. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were part of that remnant. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting. They were hoping. And they were praying just like all the other Jews that eventually had given up hope and had left of faith. But they, they didn't lose hope. Their hope was... Maybe it was weakened. Maybe it, it seemed for them to be somewhat hopeless. The situation seemed to be somewhat hopeless. But they still moved forward. And, uh, and I asked myself, how did they do that? How did they maintain their hope when others, so many others, in fact, we would, might even say the majority of the other Jews were giving up their hope? I think it's a good question. I think it's a relevant question because... We certainly face a lot of the same temptations they faced to give up. To give up our faith, to give up our, our hope. We face a temptation to, to abandon our faith when life seems hopeless. When we're going through a harsh emotional winter. When we're going through a, a bleak and weary spiritual winter. As I said, we don't know what harsh winters are for the most part here in West Texas. But we know what harsh uh, emotional and spiritual winters are. Darkness of the soul are. Because occasional, occasionally God is silent. In fact, sometimes it's like God is hiding His face from us, isn't it? We pray and we pray and it's like the ceiling is made of brass. It's like the, the heavens rather are made of brass. We, we can't get our prayers, it seems, up to God. What do we do then? What do we do when life seems hopeless and when our prayers aren't getting answered and situations are going from bad to worse? Well, here's what we learned from Zechariah and Elizabeth, what we learned from this story. A couple of things they did right. And one thing that, that um, Zechariah did wrong, we're going to learn from that as well. So here's what I want you to know from their story. First of all, when life seems hopeless, serve God faithfully. When life seems hopeless... Serve God faithfully. Verse 6, if you go back to our account here in, in Luke 1, verse 6 tells us that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So they were 
righteous in God's eyes, not just in the sight of people, but in the sight of God who sees all, who knows all, nothing, nothing escapes from God's vision. In the sight of God, they were righteous, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees, blamelessly, blamelessly. That means that nobody could dig up any, any dirt on them. If you, if you sent somebody to try to dig up some, some dirt, find something bad to report, there was nothing to dig up. Because they were faithful, they were obedient, they were consistent, consistent in serving God and obeying God, even when things were hard. And we're going to see that things were definitely hard for them. Verse 7, and this was the hardest thing for them. Verse 7 says that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, they were childless. That, that was considered a curse from God. In that culture, for someone to be childless, it was a, considered a curse from God because of something they had done wrong, because of a sin they had committed. So people certainly talked behind their backs because they're childless. God cursed them because they did something wrong. And so that's why they can't have any children. They certainly felt the disgrace. In fact, l- later in the story, we didn't read this, but in verse 25, when uh, Elizabeth is rejoicing and thanking God that he had given them a son, she, she says something to the effect that God had removed the disgrace from her life. She had felt this disgrace of being childless and God had removed that. And so this was, this was a heavy burden on them. And yet every day, Zechariah and Elizabeth would get up and go about their day fulfilling their duties and serving God and obeying God, no matter how hard life got for them, no matter how hard it got to process the the struggle they were having. Their situation was hopeless because they they were childless and they were advanced in years. They were old. So that's, for people who want to have a baby, that's a hopeless situation. But what you do when life is hopeless... You just go about serving God anyway. You don't make excuses. You don't blame God. You don't abandon the faith and follow other beliefs and follow other people. You just remain faithful to God. That's what they did. Secondly, we learn from them that that when life seems hopeless, pray to God fervently. Serve God faithfully and pray to God fervently. Verse 8 tells us about this. Let's go back and look at verse 8. Luke 1.8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he, he, was, excuse me, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now look at verse 10. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now this is very interesting. First of all, the angel starts off with, Don't be afraid, fear not. And we see that a lot in Scripture, don't we? When the angel appeared to the shepherds, uh, to, to Joseph to Mary here, to Zechariah. Because seeing an angel would have been a terrifying sight. Not like the modern stories of appearances of angels, 
But in, in biblical times, it would have been a, a terrifying sight. Zechariah was burning incense. Now, you know that incense symbolized the prayers of the people. So while the people were outside praying, he was inside burning the incense, which symbolized those prayers of the people. And then the angel's words to Zechariah were, your prayer has been heard. So we know that Zechariah and his wife prayed, not just on that occasion, when it was his turn as a priest, it was his turn. They would all take turns. That was his turn to go in and offer this incense, which represented the prayers of the people, including his prayer. We know that the angel said, your prayer has been heard. So they prayed daily. They prayed fervently. Your prayer has been heard. Now what we learn is that we can't stop praying just because life is hard. How many times when, when life seems hopeless, we give up praying, we give up calling on God, we give up seeking God. Zechariah and Elizabeth would tell us, look, our situation was hopeless. We were old, without children, without a, any possibility physically of having children, because they were old. But they continued to pray. We can't stop praying just because God hasn't answered our prayer yet. In fact, if He hasn't answered our prayer yet, we should step up our prayer and pray fervently. Now here's something that I was thinking about. What was Zechariah praying for? When the angel said, your prayer has been heard, what prayer was he talking about? Now, I think about this because the angel said, your prayer has been heard and your wife is going to have a baby. So, Zechariah, were you praying for your wife to get pregnant? You old man, you know, is that kind of faith he had? It's just, it's, it, you know, I think about that. What was he praying for? God, give us a baby. Did he have the audacity to pray that? I mean, the, the text seems to indicate that. We don't know for sure. But, you know, your prayer has been heard. Your wife is going to have a baby. Well, good for Zechariah. You know, he, he believed the impossible and God granted it to him. You know, it, it's possible he, he, um, he was just praying for, for the Messiah to come. And he didn't specify how it was going to happen. He didn't know that his son was going to pave the way for the Messiah. Uh, the bottom line is he was praying for a miracle. He was praying for a miracle. Don't be afraid to pray for a miracle when life seems hopeless. Don't be afraid to believe for a miracle, even if it seems that the time isn't right, the time has passed, life has passed you by for a miracle. You can still believe God and know that God still works miracles. So pray daily like Zechariah and Elizabeth did. Pray daily to build a foundation of prayer for your life. And then, then pray fervently in your time of need. Two types of prayer. Just a regular daily prayer that establishes a foundation of faith and hope and trust. And then you pray fervently in your time of need. So when life seems hopeless, serve God faithfully. Pray to God fervently. And finally, when life seems hopeless, believe God completely. And this is something that Zechariah didn't do, but we're going to learn from his example nonetheless. Because verse 18, when Zechariah heard this, uh, tells us that he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, Zechariah, you were praying. You were asking for a miracle. You were being consistent and praying, praying fervently. And then when the answer comes, you say, well, I, I just, I don't see how this is going to happen. It, it just, it doesn't seem possible. 
You know, from a human standpoint, his question makes sense, right? It's like, I'm an old man, my wife is, he was too smart to call her old, he said, and my wife is well along in years, <laughs> right? So, seems like a good question from a human standpoint. But remember this, remember this. When we pray, we're not limiting ourselves to a human standpoint, When we pray, we're not limiting ourselves to human possibilities. In fact, that's what prayer is. Prayer is looking to the divine for intervention. Looking for the miraculous. So when the miraculous comes, don't doubt it. Receive it. Receive it. And so the angel didn't take too kindly to this question and to the doubt that that it expressed. So the angel's answer was in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been... Uh, sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. But now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so because of his doubt, um, Zechariah was not able to, to speak. He was uh, mute. Uh, God was still faithful to him, but he, he dropped the ball in a sense here because he didn't accept. He didn't believe God completely. And uh, now we, we might say, well, you know, if an angel had appeared to me, I would believe it. I wouldn't doubt like Zechariah. Well, I, but sometimes we doubt the things that are clear in God's word. Sometimes we don't accept God at his word when we read him, uh, read his words in, in the Bible. I mean, it's possible there are parts of the Bible we don't practice because we just don't quite believe them or, or, or because we don't understand them as if our mind was was a standard for everything. If I don't understand that, it's not so. Oh, you just put yourself in the, you know, in, in the position of God. If, if you don't get it, that means it's not so. Then uh, you're just telling everybody, you're telling yourself that you're the ultimate uh, source of knowledge. And so we don't accept certain things. We don't accept them because maybe because they challenge our, our, beliefs, our beliefs or they challenge our lives, our lifestyle. I'm going to tell you today that it's time to drop all our excuses and simply believe what God says to us in His Word. Simply believe this book, the Bible, God's Word to us. Learn to read, study, and obey God's Word. Even when life seems hopeless. Now I understand that when we go through a a darkness of the soul, I understand that when we go through a harsh emotional or spiritual winter, how hard it is. Uh, I've uh, spoken to people. Uh, I remember one uh, one person who told me she was um, struggling through a, a very uh, difficult family problem, relational problem. And she told me, I just can't pray. I just can't pray. I try and I just can't pray. I understand. I understand going through some trials that, Makes it hard, but I just want to encourage you. The, the one thing that we learn uh, from, I mentioned three things, but I'm going to bring it all down to one here from Zechariah and Elizabeth. I, I said, when life seems hopeless, serve God faithfully. When life seems hopeless, pray to God fervently. When life seems hopeless, believe God completely. And the one common denominator in those three principles is God. God. Serve God. Faithfully. Pray to God fervently. Believe God completely. And so that's the, the one common denominator for us to remember. Just seek after God. The Christmas tree, I think, is a reminder that spring is coming, that winter won't last forever. 
And maybe you're going through a period of winter, and it's a long, hard winter. Maybe you're feeling sad and depressed. Maybe you're feeling like you're ready to give up. But I want the message of the Christmas tree to remind you that a spiritual spring is coming. If you'll learn to do what Zechariah and Elizabeth did. Seek after God. Don't abandon your faith. Don't give up no matter how hard it is. Seek after God. And God will... Be there. God will answer your prayer. If the miracle doesn't come when you, when you think you need it, God's presence is going to help you through. I've, I've told people, and I've told my children, uh, my sons in particular, I've said, look, if God doesn't give you the, the miracle that you need, He's going to give you the strength to make it through what you're going through. And both of them are, are divine, and both of them are miraculous. And so let's learn to trust in God. And don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Let a green tree, and I realize that not all Christmas trees are green now. You might buy an artificial one that's white. And I've seen some pink ones. I saw an orange one at Whataburger recently. So I, but let, let it remind us that a green tree is a reminder that even in the winter, we can know that spring is coming. Don't lose your hope. Continue to trust in God.